0: It's time to take the quiz. 5 questions, 5 minutes a day, 5 days a week.
1: Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did.
2: Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox.
3: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends. It's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
4: Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. Uh, we're coming to you from Los Angeles here, but we're heard in, well, we're coming with the bases at 48th and Sixth in Midtown, uh, Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. But going 3,000 miles away today. Uh, before i do doing a Fox Nation shoot, uh, I want to make sure uh, we talk for three hours. And, of course, uh, we in New York had a great day uh, weather-wise on Sunday, but it was anything but great in Buffalo. When you have this uh, mutant, this 18-year-old lunatic, Peyton Gendron, who scouted the area uh, in New York State that he thought the most African-Americans would be. And he found this shopping center, this top supermarket in East Buffalo. Uh, And he killed 10, shot 13, including Aaron Salter, retired cop, who actually returned fire on him. But this guy, uh, the shooter, was wearing armor. So he was able to survive. So this is ugly. Uh, They're also talking about the, the rise of white supremacy. I don't believe it. I don't see it. And the fact that people just jump on this is incredible to me. And I'll add something to that. When the subway shooter opens up fire and is trying to kill white people, and he has rights all about killing white people, and is on camera talking about killing white people, nobody says all black people are trying to kill white people. In fact, nobody even brought that up as he turned himself in. So this is horrific. I don't think there's any reason to make it bigger than it is, but the president of the United States is going to go there. Even though in the past he says when things like that happen, when a president comes, his footprint's so big, it ends up being more of a distraction. Not this time, because perhaps he needs to seize political gain. Meanwhile, we'll talk about that, the, shooter, the shooting in Laguna at a, uh, at a church where thankfully the prisoners wrestled this lunatic to the ground, this 60-year-old. We don't know many details, but Laguna is, was basically on fire when I left you on Friday. And Laguna Hills, this nice area uh, that you expect nothing to happen. Uh, well, it did. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
2: Uh, well, what we see is a cautious amount of great news. We see that uh, the Russian troops have been moving away from the major parts of the uh, western Ukraine uh, uh, in Kharkiv. We are not, like, over-optimistic in that regard.
4: Yeah, but you should be. The Ukrainians are fighting extremely well, and it looks like the Russians have lost a third of their fighting force. Russia is reeling, and their leader's health is very much in question. They are suffering a humiliating loss on a bridge. If you've seen this video, it's unbelievable. Forced out of Kharkiv, Ukraine's second biggest city. Meanwhile, the the Russians' worst nightmare has come true. Neutral uh, nations threatened not to join, are now joining NATO, Sweden, and Finland. I'm making it official, and it looks like it's going to be a smooth sailing, despite what Turkey's been saying, for them to get admitted. Republicans are making a mistake, by the way, pushing back at this critical time when it comes to aid. This is our national security. Have some oversight, but don't stop the
5: money. Number two. So I think it's been a net neutral. Look, the the Oz uh, endorsement was a risky one for him. And if it turns out that Barnett gets the nomination as a result of that, I think you're going to see a lot of recrimination against Donald a lot Trump. Of- Governor Christie,
4: politics, primaries and approvals as critical Republican primaries is now 24 hours away in P.A. President's approval ratings drop again. He's down to now 38 percent in according to NBC. But he has a plan for the midterms and it's for his fellow Dems as well.
6: Number one. If we'd been better mind readers, I guess we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us. We have to move with caution as well as speed, because we got to make sure what we're getting is, in fact, first-rate product. That's why the FDA has to go
4: through the process. What an insult. Mind reader, they told you in February that the Abbott Labs were having trouble and would have to shut down. What did you do in May? Say you were not a mind reader? Economic pressure is at the forefront of every American's mind, and few are convinced that Biden administration is capable of attacking the problem because they're choosing to attack others and alienating a huge ally in the process. I'm talking about Jeff Bezos. When it comes to baby formula, by the way, the blame is not on them, but on the lack of action. Yeah, nobody blames President Biden, even supply chain, for what happened. But evidently, it was pretty clear that when Abbott went down and they control with Uh, Four companies control baby formula in this country, and when Abbott goes down because of the FDA uh, violations, and it should have, the FDA should have been pushed in there. The more we find out about how preventable this was, the more outraged I get, and I'm sure you get. And I was in Boston this weekend. I was in Los Angeles today, and both times I went to a Rite Aid and I went to a CVS, and the formula is not on the shelves. It's put behind the counter. There's so little of it. And instead, they actually accuse these moms or these parents of hoarding it as if they're the problem and as if, well, it's not my problem that you can't get baby formula on the shelf. Yeah, it is in February. And if you if that was Trump, he'd be firing his commerce secretary. He'd be making going to Abbott Labs. And I'm not telling you Trump was ever perfect, but he never ran from a problem. Yeah, he created some, too. But he never ran from it. The border was a problem. Crime was a problem. The riots were a problem. And he couldn't solve it right away. But there was no doubt in the mind, in, in his mind or in my mind that he knew what it was and knew it had to be addressed. That's the crazy thing that we're witnessing now when it comes to the economy. He actually comes out and says the problem is uh, were, the billionaires aren't paying their fair share. That's why we have inflation. Well, this time he actually had a billionaire very much in his corner who owns the Washington Post and this other thing called Amazon blow that up in his face. So when it comes to what's happening with the uh, baby formula, you just heard Joe Biden. He was asked this on Friday. Cut one.
6: If we'd been better mind readers, I guess we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us. And we have to move with caution as well as speed because we've got to make sure what we're getting is, in fact, first-rate product. That's why the FDA has to go through the process.
4: Okay, never been president. I'm sure you have not been president unless George W. Bush and Bill Clinton are listening, and Barack Obama. But if you have a problem in February and you say, listen, what's going on with Abbott Labs? And, well, there's only four companies that make uh, a baby formula. And, Mr. President, this could be an issue if they can't get this thing up and running soon. So you make a quick deal with other countries and you waive, some of the international regulations that stop it, and then you make sure that whatever you do, you don't run out of these things. I don't expect the president to be ahead of it, but if you're a commerce secretary working agriculture or the labor, this stuff should pop up, or the FDA. Excuse me, Mr. President, need to see you. I know it's February, it's a little cold outside, but when it gets warmer in the spring, we might not have any baby formula. A guy that used to run the FDA, and I think this is an underappreciated interview, is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He spelled out a bunch of things I never even knew. Number one, four companies should not be controlling baby formula. We have to be that. It's not in our national interest to do it. First, let's hear what Dr. Scott Gottlieb said about this. Cut five. When you were in
7: probably should have been inspected, especially when I was in office. Especially given the fact that there had been prior findings there. The fact that FDA went into that facility this year and found five different strains of coronavirus—that is a serious concern. It doesn't appear to have been a state-of-the-art facility based on the findings in that 483. Um, so they should have been under closer supervision. Look, we have, we have sort of the worst of both possible worlds right now. We have a regulatory scheme that's stringent enough that it does create obstacles to getting into the market for new entrants. There's only been one new entrant in the last 15 years. That's a domestically based manufacturer, a company by But at the same time, it doesn't provide stringent enough oversight of the resulting oligopoly. Three companies control 80 percent of the market to ensure that there's no snafus that can cause shutdown in those facilities. And so when you do have a shutdown, when the market's that concentrated, it creates these distributed shortages that we're seeing right now that are very hard to resolve. They're going to eventually need to get that facility reopened.
4: Yeah. And I did not know nine people work in that in that area in the FDA. Nine people. Really? For the entire country? So now they're starting to make moves in order to do deals with other countries to get baby formula in here. Now starting to get new moves. Next week they're having a hearing in Congress? May 23rd? Really? Where is the urgency? I'm telling you, it's amazing what they're doing to parents. Between screwing with the curriculum on their kids and telling them to shut up and sending the FBI after them. To telling new parents, you know, not my problem when it comes, I'm not a mind reader when it comes to, when it comes to baby formula, I'm stunned by this. And not to spend the whole time on this, but I want you to hear Pete
7: Buttigieg while we're on this. Cut three. Fundamentally, we are here because a company was not able to guarantee that its plant was safe, and that plant has shut down.
5: But that is the federal government's job as regulators to help ensure that. of regulators, yes, but let's
7: be very clear. This is a capitalist country. The government does not make baby formula, nor should it. Companies make formula. And one of those companies, a company which, by the way, seems to have 40 percent market share, messed up and is unable to confirm that a plant, a major plant, is safe and free of contamination. So the most important thing to do right now, of course, is to get that plant in Michigan up and running safely. Listen, the
4: question is, you knew about it in February. What have you done? You're not supposed to make it. But it does go to food banks and food stamps programs around the country, which means they do have a role. The federal government does have a role and would be able to see this on many different levels. The FDA who shut it down and maybe the food stamp program, the agricultural program that puts together, uh, makes this food available. Cut to.
5: I know the president said more actions coming, but this has been ongoing for months. There were supply chain issues already. Then you have the issue with this one plant, Abbott, um, whistleblower in September, February, the recall. It's May. Why has it taken so long?
7: The administration acted from day one after the recall, taking steps like creating more flexibility for the WIC program. There are more actions that are underway, including looking at imports. It's
4: insane. And you see how it got his back up. And I give Margaret Brennan credit because I was reading these transcripts and I'm saying to myself, he's going to let him off the hook again, just like Dana Bash led uh, Nancy Pelosi off the hook. But, he, uh, but she didn't. Um, she's pushing. And listen, you're listening to this right now. I'm, I'm reading this and trying to figure out what happens. We don't have a background in FDA regulation and shutdowns. But, for example, we know this when it comes to the meatpacking industry. If something's to happen to one area of meatpacking, contamination or workforce issues or shutdowns, we knew they had to keep working during the pandemic. And then you find out that only a certain amount of companies actually do this. And you say, well, is this really in America's best interest to have a monopoly and this much power when it comes to feeding our country? And that's something to look at. But if something happens, you know this is going to be—if not that day, that day—in one or two months, it's going to be a major issue. But it didn't seem to capture their attention, and I find that astounding. Real quick, when it comes to overall, the economy, the President's approval ratings at 39% uh, overall for the job he's doing, 53% disapprove of the job he's doing. I think he's doing an absolutely awful job, especially when it comes to the economy. With 37% of Americans view Biden in a positive light uh, when it comes to economic issues. I'm surprised it's that high. When it comes to inflation, he's at 28%. So his goal is now to limit the damage at the midterm. So he's trying to say, don't blame me. He goes, don't compare me to God. Compare me uh, to the alternative, uh, to the almighty, to compare me to the alternative. So their big goal, and just look for it, you already see it, is say, look how bad Republicans are. I might suck, but the Republicans suck worse. How cynical and maniacal is that? This guy is not doing his job and says, yeah, I know I'm not good at my job, but at least I'm not the other guy. At least I'm not the Republicans. And they bring up Tim Scott, his uh, his 11-point plan, and say he's going to raise your taxes. They bring up something about Donald Trump that they don't seem to like, and they'll make up a nickname that doesn't resonate in a negative fashion. But what are they doing? Instead of getting this country on track, stopping the divisions, uh, maybe lowering the temperature – He's done just the opposite because he wants to limit the damage of the midterm elections. which To me, terrible leadership is which I talked about on One Nation uh, over the weekend. Which party should control Congress? Right now, Republicans have an advantage by just one point. But President Biden is telling everyone uh, to shift everything into campaign mode. Believe me, it's May. People familiar with the conversation told Axios. They're reminding them some small mistakes can be costly and demanding that they take opportunities to highlight differences with Republicans. Listen, I'm fine with that. If you talk about what's happening with the Middle East, you have to, the UAE and Saudi Arabia don't even contact us or call us. They're threatening to get off the dollar. When you talk about what's happening with with China, you're going to tell me things are better there? You're going to tell me that things are better with COVID-19 in terms of uh, the vaccines and cases? They just decided to stop talking about it. And number uh, by the way, I don't. Uh, the cases are high, the hospitalizations aren't, and the deaths are actually going down. So I'm fine walking through that. But at the same time, they're getting rid of Title Forty Two because they say we don't need it. At the same time, they want billions more in COVID aid because they say we need it. That's type of mixed messaging that is a joke. You know what they're doing at the border? I'll compare it to the previous administration. I'll compare it to the growth of what pandemic uh, included in where they were the previous administration. When the only thing they have is lower unemployment, but the bigger problem is workforce. You can't get people to fill jobs that are out there, and then you have inflation that's at a 40-year high. So the president of the United States, just like the the, um, super MAGA and king MAGA and the uh, ultra MAGA, all that stuff is going over terribly, almost like deplorables is. And then if you want to start comparing to the previous administration, facts are facts. Life was better back then, even if you thought... But Joe Biden is more presidential, which I would also push back on. one 408 We got Josh Rogan joining us shortly. Bring us inside what's happening not only with China and not only with Ukraine, but also with North Korea. Don't move.
3: Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services.
3: a talk show that's real this is the brian kilmeade show
0: who else does it give sticker shock to vladimir putin so vladimir putin has a has a military that's been degraded severely their morale is extremely low their supply chains are in, are in critical condition And now he just is realizing that his opponents, the Ukrainians, are going to have basically an unlimited amount of resources to continue fighting this war. This is an investment in the severe degradation of our second biggest adversary, the Russian military. They will not be able to invade other countries after this and destabilize the globe. That allows us to do something. It allows us to focus on our actual biggest adversary, which is China.
4: And that's Dan Crenshaw. Not only does he fight wars, but he actually would be a great foreign policy wonk. He's 100% correct. Now, I understand a lot of people out there are upset we're giving $39 billion to Ukraine. Just understand that's our national security interest. It is not $39 billion to UNICEF, which would probably be a good thing, but not now. It is to help them slay our second greatest adversary, who is sending a big message to our number one economic and military adversary that we will combine forces to stop you. Number two, economically, we are putting sanctions on. Others are joining in, and Russians are making it easier for us because they're shutting off oil and gas to places like Finland, Bulgaria, and Poland. And now uh, Germany, we have to go elsewhere, and Italy, and they are going elsewhere to places like Algeria, a place I didn't even know had natural gas and oil. And when people get upset about spending, I understand it. Don't trust Biden. I get it 100 percent. He was late or else we would have spent less money and they've been more formidable early. You have a great point. But we are where we are right now. And if you show Russia there's more resolve than ever, while they're losing a third of their people, they have to go out and beg Syrians to fight. They're getting people that work our city workers. They call them metro people. They're teaching them to hold a gun. And sending them to a war they started, they had their whole, like, a, this huge tank unit blown up because they went over a bridge, again, that was blown up by the Ukrainians. And you had hundreds die right before them as they tried to flood the Donbass, preventing them from surrounding the Ukrainians like they planned. I'm not saying that they're not making progress. The Russians are. But it's tiny compared to what it would be if they actually knew how to fight, fully financed their military, And the Ukrainians weren't so determined to hold on to their country, backed by us. And then the worst nightmare, Sweden and Finland join NATO. That is stronger than ever. This is good news. Don't look for all bad. Republicans stay the courts.
3: Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Uh, well, what we see is a certain, uh, like, um, a cautious amount of great news. We see that the, the Russian troops has been moving away from the major parts of the uh, Western Ukraine, uh, in Kharkiv and Zaporizhia regions, which are just near the Donetsk and Lugansk regions. But we are not, like, over-optimistic in that regard. We uh, see that uh, Putin has readjusted his strategy, and he goes uh, on the only possible winning scenario for him is the long-lasting war, uh, which is not the case for us and for the democratic world.
4: Uh, That is the Deputy Deputy Prime Minister of Ukraine in New York uh, giving an update on what's happening here while trying to wrangle as much aid as possible to help the Ukrainians continue to shock the world and give the Russians more than they can handle. The Russians' in ineptness stands out. Uh, the fact that they have absolutely no experience, no coordination. They're losing their uh, – they've lost at least a dozen commanders, and they lost a whole tank unit over the weekend while being forced out of Kharkiv, the second biggest city in Ukraine. They're doing damage, and they're not done. But the struggles that they've had have shocked everyone. Uh, sadly, even our intelligence community that said that Ukraine would fall in 72 hours. Josh Rogan, Washington Post, best-selling author, insightful guy who never stops working, joins us now. Josh, welcome back.
10: Great to be back, Brian.
4: Hey, Josh, did you ever think 12 weeks in we'd be talking about Ukraine pushing out of their capital, out of Kharkiv, pushing Russians out of both places, and now pushing and doing the best they can to push them out of Donbass?
10: Well, yeah, it's a, isn't it amazing what happens when the international community actually believes that the good guys can win and the bad guys can lose? and Wouldn't it have been amazing if we had thought that the entire time? And I I mean, I'm not uh, picking anybody in particular to blame, but let's start with the Biden administration in the White House who told everybody, including me, including reporters on background, listen, uh, these guys are going to get crushed. So that's why we can't give them the planes. That's why we can't give them the patriots, because they're just going to get crushed. So let's just prepare for an insurgency. And they were totally wrong. And now you see the Biden administration and Democrats pointing to the intelligence community, their own intelligence community, who last week we thought was the greatest intelligence community on Ukraine now. And they're saying, oh, it was their fault. And, you know, that's what happens in D.C. There's a total blame game now. To their credit, all of a sudden, the Biden White House is giving the Ukrainians all of the offensive weapons that they need to really get this done. And look what happened. It's amazing. When, they, when we actually support the people fighting for freedom, dignity, sovereignty, human rights, the rule of law, and all those things we pretend to believe in, they actually can win. We just have to support them. It should be a lesson, and it should be a lesson for the next one. And I'm now I'm talking about Taiwan.
4: Absolutely. So what do you think the message so far from China is, and what have you noticed about their original uh, statements when this war first began because Russia decided to invade, and what are they saying now? Read between the lines, if you would, Josh.
10: Yeah, no, I've always said that China is on Russia's side, full stop, and, you know, there's a lot of crazy talk in Washington now. Well, they didn't give them this weapon, they didn't give them that weapon, that must mean that China's neutral in this thing, and that's nonsense. The Chinese Communist Party and the Russians and Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are best friends forever, and that's never going to change. To the extent that China hasn't helped uh, Russia as much as possible. That's due to two things. One is they're experiencing a crazy self-imposed crisis because of their zero COVID lockdown, and they've got too much to deal with. They're locking down hundreds of millions of people for no reason. It's a crazy thing to do, but that's keeping them busy. And the second reason that they haven't helped the Russians as much as they might have is because we threaten them. We threaten them with sanctions, and you know they believe the threats. And again, credit to the Biden administration for using the sticks, not the carrots, but that doesn't mean that China is good or that the Chinese Communist Party is on our side. It just means we have to keep our foot on the neck of the Chinese Communist Party so that they can't help the Russians as we try to fight the Russians. And the one thing that is 100 percent for sure, and this is what I wrote about last week, is that Xi Jinping looks at Ukraine and he says, "Okay, I'm not going to make those same mistakes in Taiwan. And that's what we really should be scared about, because in a year or two years or three years, whenever he makes his attempt, and he will make an attempt, he's not going to make the same Putin mistakes. He's going to have more defenses against our sanctions. He's going to have more force to bring to bear against the Taiwanese. And we better get ready for that. We better get ready for that quick.
4: Right, by giving Taiwan what it needs to defend itself, because like the Ukrainians, uh, they will
10: fight, and they are determined, and they are smart, and they've probably game-planned this out. Exactly, and the Taiwanese are like that, and they see in in the Ukrainians a version of themselves, a small democratic country that's about to get attacked by a huge totalitarian, aggressive dictatorship. And, you know, there's a lot we need to do. We need to give them the weapons they need uh, for territorial defense. That means stingers and javelins and mines in their water and all that stuff that we're giving to the Ukrainians. And if you think about that, that means we need to make more of those things because we don't have them. We haven't made a stinger missile in the United States since 2005, Brian. Think about it, 2005. So when when we run out, there's no more. And so this is going to be the new way of fighting. It's not about you know, uh, ships and, and, and planes and bombers. It's about giving human beings in their cities the ability to fight invading dictators. And uh, that's what we're learning in Ukraine, and that's what we should learn uh, for the fight to come in Taiwan. You know, what, what
4: bothers me, listen, everything you said is correct, and there was a shipment that General Keene was saying that was on its way to Ukraine and was turned around in the transition from administrations. And we knew there was a two-month pause that got the president uh, impeached, uh, but for the most part, it was the Trump administration that said, you can, "Yeah, you can have lethal aid. Absolutely, we'll give you this and we'll give you that." And we know the the tug of war that took place there, and you know Ukraine was in the eye of the storm. Having said that, I am really disappointed in Republicans right now. I love the accountability. I, if you want to demand that somebody's in charge of procurement and some uh, some type of inspector general, absolutely. But I'm getting more and more Republicans who are seeing this. Uh, Because we're having problems at home, because the border is a mess, and because this administration allowed it to happen, they're saying things like what Senator Bill Haggerty said over the weekend, cut
11: 12. I certainly don't have anything against the Ukrainians. We want to see them win. But pumping more aid into that country, when we're not taking care of our own own country, the best thing that Biden could do is stop the war that he's waged on American industry. That would lower prices overall. That would take the funding away from Putin's war machine against Ukraine. It would make our economy do better here. Biden will not do that. Listen,
4: uh, I would love for him to uh, really get honest on oil and gas, but I I see Republicans and, and some of the guys I really like, like Jim Jordan, and Rand Paul is almost expected, on no matter who's president, but does this bother you, Josh?
10: Well, yeah, and I think you see this from the far left and the far right, Brian. With this idea of like we have to choose between helping people abroad and helping people at home. No, it's a false choice. We, of course, we have to do both. But the real, you know, flaw in that thinking is, and this is really Rand Paul's theory, is that, you know, oh well, we're giving away this money. It's 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 it's, it's money out the door. They fail to realize that if we don't help Ukraine and if Russia crushes Ukraine, they're going to attack Europe next, and then we're going to be into World War III, and then that's going to cost a hundred times more. So this is that's a pennywise pound foolish way of thinking about national security. You pay now to beat the Russians now in Ukraine, so you don't have to fight them later in all of Europe, where we have NATO allies and a commitment to come to their defense, and that's World War III. and believe me that's going to cost a lot more, okay so that's the same thing with food aid. there's money in the uh, the Ukraine bill to feed people around the world, and you know Rand Paul's like, "Oh, well, there's hungry people in the United States, sure, but that's a non sequitur because if we don't feed all of those people or at least help feed them along with other countries, uh, then they're going to have a bunch of uh, you know, crazy crises in those countries that are going to blow back on us as well. So unfortunately, we have to live in a world where we weigh the costs of action against the costs of inaction. And $40 billion is a lot of money. But it's not a lot of money compared to what would happen if Ukraine goes down. And, you know, so that's just a, 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 a logical flaw. And, of course, you know the political reasons. And, again, on the far right and far left is that you have people who want to withdraw from the world. But what we found again and again and again is that when America withdraws, the bad guys advance. Okay? We leave a vacuum it's filled by evil monsters who are out to get us, who want to do us harm and harm to our friends. So it's a— You know, expensive thing to be a global superpower with global responsibilities, but it's much better than the alternative, which is a world run by Russia and China, which I assure you Rand Paul will not like to live in if it were to come to to be the case.
4: A hundred percent. Josh, I think the one thing is pretty clear uh, really over the last eight years, and people were burned because of the Iraq war. The invasion was great. The occupation wasn't. The surge worked. We understood it, but – If you look back at the Iraq war now, it's conventional wisdom. What a big mistake. But if you go back to the mindset of the 90s, when everybody was saying, why did George Bush 41 leave this problem for Bill Clinton? Why did he not finish the job? This is a menace of the Middle East that he's going to continue to be a cancer. Something's got to be done. And remember the mindset back then. But it doesn't. The thing about America is we don't want to own Iraq. We don't want to own Afghanistan. We want to stand it up and let them run themselves. That's the big difference. It's like we have trouble understanding that we're not evil intentioned. And it's coming from our own country. And we don't have a choice. We have to stand up. France can't do it. Britain can't do it. Japan can't do it. We have to do it. That's the responsibility of being America.
10: Right. The Obama administration tried to outsource world uh, governance to regional powers. That didn't work. Then the Bush administration tried to overuse the military. That's my opinion is we want to help these countries move to democracy and freedom and liberty and human rights. But apparently the military is not always the best tool. But in Washington, because, you know, every problem looks like a nail, we take out the hammer. Okay. so but that's not the the lesson of Iraq. Should have been that we need to use other means to help these countries progress towards freedom and liberty, and that the military is not the only tool in the toolbox. And here we here we have a situation in Ukraine where no U.S. troops are at risk, not one. We don't have any troops on the ground. We're just giving the people fighting for freedom the guns and money and food and able to, to so that they can win. That seems like the if you wanted to learn the lesson of Iraq, that would be the lesson that I would learn is let's fight these wars without sacrificing American boys and girls and men and women and still the isolationists are like oh no 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 we can't do that so you know it 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 just teaches you that like if you have this worldview that we should just put up the 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 borders of fortress america and just tell the whole world to go screw itself fine i'm just telling you that that's how world wars start that's how the the situation gets worse not better and you know i think frankly there are a lot of people in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party who are learning that lesson the hard way now and you know when Ukraine wins and when the Russians are beaten back uh, that should stand as an as a correction to this over correction of the Iraq war to this over learning of the lesson of getting involved in foreign countries is that there is a way to do it and we have to do it and like you said if we don't do it nobody else will you
4: know the other thing to keep in mind is we're gonna have to spend more money on defense and like you said about the javelins and other things, the, somehow the Chinese, despite all their problems and the locking down of that country and poisoning uh, half the world, uh, still were able to spend. And they're putting it into the military. And the only way to avoid a war is to make us too formidable to approach and stop. The Chinese haven't fought really since 1979, right, Vietnam? They tried to teach Vietnam a lesson. That didn't even work too well. Right. So we're seeing the Russians haven't really fought a legitimate opponent and we're seeing how bad they are. One thing about America, we've had about 20 years' experience fighting all different types of wars, and now we have to replenish our stocks and move forward. That, that's that got to be the next president. It's not being a warmonger. It's not the military-industrial complex. It is called American security.
10: Right, and we've got to change what we're spending on, okay? Look at what the Russians are spending on. They spend on tanks and these ships that are, you know, a, a Hundred dollar drone could take out with a remote control, so that doesn't seem like a really good thing to spend on, right? For one thing, we have to spend on is helping these countries defend their territory. That means the things that keep dictators from scooping up democracies, and the other thing we then we have to spend on is the cyber and the AI and the Absolutely. you know the weapons that don't have Americans uh, sitting inside of them. In other words, the things that are unmanned and the things that control the information space and the things that control space. Okay, and that's the 21st century warfare. That's the other lesson that we ought to be learning: is that, you know, you could have all the tanks and ships that you want. Uh, it doesn't matter if someone shoots a hypersonic missile at it. Your, your your aircraft carrier is worthless at that point. So how is it that the Chinese and the Russians leaped ahead of us in hypersonic missiles? Who dropped that ball? Okay, and when the next war comes, and if it's with China, uh, it's really going to be one in the information cyber. Uh, and 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 electronic warfare spaces. And we better get going on that pretty quick.
4: And the whole thing is with with China, uh, COVID-19 and the NIH and what we were able to do, how we were able to handle it, what country got it right. We have to learn from this. And you were ahead of the curve on that. You thought you were going to be doing a book on China and its rise. And <laughs> next thing you know, you're knee deep in this COVID story. And you picked out the lying and the deception that was taking place and has so much to do with how many people end up dying.
10: Yeah, and I know what you're referring to. We're still getting new information about the origins of the coronavirus, and we're still having to pry it out of the hands of our own government leaders, and that's the leaders of our own health institutions like the NIH. And it's so crazy to me uh, as someone, and and I know you feel the same way, Brian, as some people have been reporting on this for two and a half years, that (laughs) here we are in 2022, in the middle of 2022, and congressmen and congresswomen have to pry basic information about what it happened, how we got into this mess. And the, the NIH and uh, Anthony Fauci and the NIAID are holding on to this information. And every once in a while, they're forced to admit they, that they have some of it, and they still won't give it to us. And there's FOIA lawsuits and investigations, but because Republicans don't control the Congress, they can't really subpoena anybody or hold any specific hearings on this that can pry this information out. But eventually, you would think that some, at some point, there would be somebody in our government who would say to our own health leaders, and that's the NIH and the NIAID, hey, what, give us all of this information, publish all of this information you have about the origin of the pandemic, specifically what we know from these Chinese scientists and these Chinese labs who have been working to cover up what they were doing in these labs in Wuhan this whole time, and why are you helping them cover it up, and why is there no accountability and oversight? And I think that's a... Uh, a huge stain on our uh, uh, government and our and our Congress and our uh, media that uh, there's no curiosity about that, and uh, I just right. keep th- waiting for someone uh, to finally hold all of these institutions to account. You will, Josh. You'll do it. I know that. <laughs> uh, Josh Rogan. Thanks so much. Washington Post,
4: uh, and also best-selling author. Josh, thank you. Anytime. You got it. Josh Rogan, 1-866-408-7669. We'll come back with your calls. We gave you a lot. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: The more you listen, the more you'll
1: know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Certainly the press spokesman at the White House is down with this. Jen Psaki said asked about this. These are people who are demonstrating outside the houses of the Supreme Court justices. She said, I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest, but we do. It's wrong. It's intimidation. It's against the law. I mean, do we have some footage of what? I mean, look, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not terribly violent,
4: obviously, but would you want this outside your house? Why does Bill Maher sound like Sean Hannity? Uh, Well, who would? I mean, basically, that's human nature. You're saying to yourself, I have a job. It's a prestigious job, and I have to make big decisions. Do you want people allowed to protest outside your house once for the U.S. government, Supreme Court? And I'll I'll play this at different hours throughout the show, but the way dismissive nature in which people are talking about this court as being extremist and unworthy and unhinged is insane. This is an equal branch of government can you imagine if the supreme court justices came out and go what a crazy president what a nutty speaker what a bad time to be a house member there's just no respect and that's the issue thanks so much for listening everybody brian kilmeade show here if you want any of my history books you want to put this the crt to rest win the war in history go to brian i'll sign it and i'll send it don't move From the
3: Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks for
4: being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm coming to you from Los Angeles, 3,000 miles away of a Fox Nation shoot. But you know the main headquarters where Eric, Pete, and Allison are at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, and we're heard around this great nation and... Around the world, and we hope in the Ukraine, because some more good news is coming out of that. We have a great guest coming up. Ambassador Kurt Volker will bring us inside what's happening in Europe and why we need to get that money to the Ukrainians because they can finish off our nemesis without any American blood being spilled. They are fighting for their sovereignty, but against our second number one enemy on the planet. Michael Goodwin is also standing by, and we'll talk about that. And with Michael, again, it's a detail of the horrific um, racial. Uh, inspired shooting, this 18-year-old raging racist, hated black people, militarized, he said, during the pandemic, on the FBI's radar. They met with this kid, and he was still able to get a green light and to get a gun, legally. Nuts. So uh, then there was a shooting in Laguna. It's about uh, 50 miles, uh, 35 miles from where I am right now, in a beautiful beautiful, uh, area. I've been there before. I used to live out here. And an area you never thought there'd be any violence. And, of course, the, it happened in a church. A one person shot. Uh, the good news is everybody got up and wrestled this guy to the ground. So let's get to the big three. Now
3: with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
12: Number three.
2: Uh, well, what we see is a cautious amount of great news. We see that uh, the Russian troops have been moving away from the major parts of the uh, Western Ukraine uh, in Kharkiv, we are
4: not like over optimistic in that regard. Uh, we, I'm getting optimistic. I don't. I know they can't afford to because people are still dying. But Russia is reeling, and their leader's health is very much in question. Russia is suffering a humiliating loss over on a bridge. You saw this whole 300 fall into the water because they went across a pontoon bridge in uh, out in the open. That you would think any person that ever had a, played a game of Stratego wouldn't do. Ukraine's second biggest city is now theirs again. Meanwhile, Sweden and Finland are about to join NATO, making them a more powerful, more formidable alliance. Republicans are making a big mistake pushing back on this critical time when it comes to Ukraine aid.
1: Number two.
5: So I think it's been a net neutral. Look, the the Oz uh, endorsement was a risky one for him. And if it turns out that Barnett gets the nomination as a result of that, I think you're going to see a lot of recrimination against Donald Trump.
4: Yeah, but it's not going to happen. Politics, primaries and approvals as a critical Republican primary is just 24 hours away in Pennsylvania. Presidential approval ratings are dropping again, even on NBC. But he has a plan for the midterms, and that is blame the Republicans. Really?
8: Number one.
6: If we'd been better mind readers, I guess we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us. We have to move with caution as well as speed because we've got to make sure what we're getting is, in fact, first-rate product. That's why the FDA has to go through the process.
4: Mind reader, they told you in February. Your answer is I'm not a mind reader. Economic pressures are at the forefront of every American's mind, and few are convinced that the Biden administration is capable of attacking the problem because they're choosing to attack others and alienating a huge ally ally in Jeff Bezos. When it comes to baby formula, the blame is not on them for having it happen. That's a problem with Abbott Labs. But for not realizing what it means, that is on them. Let me bring in Michael Goodwin now, New York Post columnist, Fox News uh, contributor. And also, it's uh, great news, Michael, because people are not only listening to you around the country, also in, uh, in uh, upstate New York. Uh, today, WDLA, 1270 a.m. in Walton, New York, and WCHN, 970 a.m. in Norwich, New York, and WDOS, 730 a.m. in Oneonta. As, uh, we're very fortunate they're going to be carrying the show. But what a horrific time in upstate New York
9: uh you're right brian it's uh it's got to be heartbreaking of course uh for the families, but I think for everybody uh in that area um you know you just you just said you know but, but for the grace of god uh and and the madness behind this kind of hate and and you know that he went out and bought this gun. I was just reading the story about the the gun dealer who sold it to him, and he says that he did a background check, and nothing came up. And now I think that that should be an issue if it's not already. That, as you said, he he made this threat earlier. Um, the the uh, police investigated him why why would he not show up on a background? Why would that not show up on a background check? I mean, I think we've seen this before, for example, I remember a former serviceman who got a dishonorable discharge uh, that was never reported, and so he was able to go out and buy a buy a weapon which I think he used in a Texas church to kill a number of people so I think that's the sort of thing that um, we've got to we've got to tighten the screws on. We have lots of laws and lots of uh, well-meaning protective uh, issues. Er- To prevent these kinds of things, it's one thing to be grieving and angry afterwards, and even to try to make political hay out of it. But it's quite another to prevent. And I think that's what's missing a lot of this stuff. Now, I I know there are there are also those preventive measures have to be weighed uh, in connection with rights and, and people's rights. So he had a right to buy this gun, but the preventive measures in my mind, should have stopped him from buying that gun, that no right is absolute, and people have forfeited rights by their behavior. And when he made that threat against a school last year, that seemed to me to be enough cause to – and, by the way, New York also has a red flag law that anybody who is – Thought to be a danger to himself sure. or to others, law enforcement has the right to take away the gun. Again, it's a controversial thing that tries to balances rights with, with safety. But I think and, and there's lots yeah, of people question here about too, why was, he was why yeah. he had that gun.
4: Yeah, I mean the red flag thing has been brought up really. So you know we see these people in these horrible divorces who do anything to hurt their spouse. They love to hunt. Well, he uh, he threatened me, or she threatened me, and they take away that gun and. Uh, and they always what is true here? But in this case, you have an 18-year-old. Where the hell are the parents, by the way? Uh, the 18-year-old officials confirmed on Sunday that Gendron was brought in by state police in, in the southern tier along New York's southern border with Pennsylvania last June for a mental health evaluation after making an unspecified threat at a school. The evaluation at a hospital lasted about a day and a half. Now, we got to find out about that threat. And how, how was that threat filed, that they got the state authorities done? The manifesto wasn't enough online, but he did something else. The threat was generalized and not racial, they said. He was evaluated, then he was released. There was nothing that was picked up on the state intelligence, nothing that was picked up by the FBI intelligence. You know, when one of the, in his manifesto that goes on for dozens of pages, he says, I'm not a conservative, but I, I don't want to be replaced. So he's going to go out and shoot as many black people as possible so now he'll spend the rest of his years in jail. And you have to wonder, uh, is there any, you know, they're going to look to blame and they're going to look to blame uh, people who say things that other people might interpret as insightful. And it's amazing what I've seen over the weekend of people uh, pointing the fingers at certain hosts. I'm, um, I'm astounded. A twisted 18-year-old with parents living in the same house. The state cops talk to him and you're going to blame a talk show host.
9: Well, Brian, <clears throat> excuse me. There's another element here too, which is the death penalty. Again, New York does not have the death penalty, but the federal government does. And under William Barr and the, in the waning years of the Trump administration, uh, several uh, long-term inmates were put to death, were executed. Well, why doesn't the feds? Why don't the feds take over this case? There's certainly ample grounds for it, and use the death penalty. Why should he's 18 years old? What good will we'll be keeping him in jail forever? Uh, there's also the danger that some future lunatic governor would release him. Uh, so, look, I, th- I think this is a perfect case for the death penalty. So, to me, these are the two paramount issues here beyond the grief and, 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 and the, the hatred that was uh, evidenced here. It's that why did he have that gun and why is he not facing the death penalty?
4: How about this? If we're going to bring up race, and they should bring up race, that was his intent. Why did they just squelch what the subway shooter was doing? The subway shooter was looking for white people, hated white people. There's no place for black people in this country. We have to kill white people. That's what this guy was saying. Now, I don't think it benefits anybody to start bringing up these phrases and these point of views because they're niche and they're not prevalent and it makes it seem like they are. But you have to be somewhat fair if you're going to, correct? Correct.
9: Yes, uh, I, I think there are there is racial hatred across the spectrum. Uh, not certainly, it's not isolated in whites or blacks. And, and Brian, also, I think we have to bear in mind that we are, of course, captivated by this event, and as horrific as it is, but the reality is that the murder that happens routinely in America's cities, primarily, is what accounts for the bulk of, of uh, homicides in the United States every year. And so we will, we will get exercised about this case, but we should not forget The the routine murders that happen that don't get any attention because they happen one two three at a time. I mean, there was a shooting in Milwaukee around the basketball game. There, 21 people I think uh, shot. Yep. Uh, There was another. Of course, you mentioned the church in California. So we we, we take exceptional notice to some of these exceptional cases, and which is understandable. But we shouldn't forget that the day-to-day murder in America's cities is largely carried out by non-whites against other non-whites and involves illegally held handguns. Now, this is a—so the contrast with this big case, I know this is this is the stuff that gets everybody going, but the other stuff is the stuff that really happens day in and day out and accounts for— I mean, at one point, I know in one year it was roughly 90 percent of the nation's homicides are not in mass shootings.
4: Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great point. Uh, A couple of things going on right now. What about President President Biden coming out and saying, "Don't compare me to um, uh, the Almighty. Compare me to the alternative," and that being the philosophy? Here we are, no baby formula. We're in uh, uh, 40-year highs in inflation. We are trying to uh, figure out uh, figure out a way to rebuild our military. I, this goes on and on and on. And they said, I have an idea. Let's just say how bad Republicans are and and get people fearful of a MAGA agenda. Michael, there's some, so much wrong with this, even politically, when people compared the things on the pure facts of what happened over the last four years. When it comes to inflation, when it comes to growth, when it comes to security, uh, what, when it comes to... Um, uh, what we're looking at in foreign policy, I mean, who want, who wants what Joe Biden's giving? Does he really want that comparison?
9: I think he does, Brian, because I think it's all he has left. And when he says MAGA, what he means is Trump. And don't forget the January sixth committee is is all along been largely a political exercise designed to be put into gear for this election. And that's what it's doing. Uh, it's getting closer. We, I mean, ha- w- there are virtually stories every day about uh, January 6th. I mean, the Washington Post won a Pulitzer Prize, just like it did for Russiagate, too. Uh, but th- this is this is the way the Democratic Party and the mainstream media g- work hand in glove. If you, you you take your eye off the ball, and you say, look at this shiny thing over here. Look at this. Yeah. Look at this. Mega, mega, mega. Meanwhile, as you say, inflation, the The border, the the fentanyl deaths have set a record. Yep, right. That's
7: the, that's border, the too. border.
9: Also. Uh, so, and of course, uh, you know, all, all these things with the baby formula, the foreign policy debacles. I mean, this has been quite a presidency. Joe Biden has done enormous damage in in about 15 months. And so, yeah, let's talk about Donald Trump again. That's the game plan. And it's just a game plan. And and I think, you know, it is just politics. And so I think we should we should take them at their word. Everything Joe Biden does from here until November is just politics.
4: And here's what he said on baby, for baby formula, which shows, by the way, it's, it's just a bad move because he doesn't want to mention Trump's name. That means he's indicting 73 million people that voted for him, but not him. So here is, a cut. listen to what Joe Biden when asked about baby formula, that he was told about this shutdowns were in September. It was official in February. They were told about shortages then. And this is what he said when asked. Cut one.
6: If we'd been better mind readers, I guess we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us. And we have to move with caution as well as speed, because we've got to make sure what we're getting is, in fact, first-rate product. That's why the FDA has to go through the process.
4: Okay. Do you have any problem with that?
9: Well, look, it, it, it's an excuse, that's all. Um, it,
4: it's wrong. It's a lot.
9: Well, and, and, and the pattern is, is so clear, Brian. You, Joe Biden is late to everything. He's always slow. It, 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 he has to be embarrassed into taking action. The fact is they did nothing. They did nothing about this. I mean, to say the FDA has to be careful and all that, that's exa- if Donald Trump had followed that, we still wouldn't have a vaccine. I mean, sometimes a president has to be a leader and cut through the garbage and cut through the red tape and say, damn it, I want answers. I want to know what's going on with the baby formula issue. Why isn't there enough? You don't get that sense from Joe Biden ever. It's like he's the last to know. It's almost like when the news gets to the White House, it's old. It's it's not fresh. They're not ahead of the curve on anything. They're always behind. And that, I think, comes directly from Joe Biden. I just think he's he moves at the pace of a hundred-year-old man. There's nothing, there's no sense of urgency about him. There's no, and I think that the way the White House works, and again, Brian, I think there is still a great mystery about how Decisions are made in this White House. But it seems to me that so many things are decided and then presented to Joe Biden, and he goes out and reads from a script. His his involvement doesn't seem to be much deeper than that. So the question is, who's making those decisions?
4: That's what everyone says. Everywhere I go, people say, who's running this country? Because it's not him. And if it is, it it, it couldn't be worse. Uh, Thanks so much, uh, Michael. Always insightful. Appreciate it.
9: My pleasure, Brian. Thank
4: you. You got it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Join us. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're up next.
3: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian
6: Kilmeade. I believe the narrative should be The actions taken yesterday by Buffalo police officers, Erie County Sheriff's deputies, FBI agents, that this shooting started at approximately 2.30 p.m. And five hours later, this individual is in custody and arraigned and behind bars. The bravery uh, by the uh, Buffalo police officers to engage an individual with a vest, an assault rifle, with handguns, I could just not say enough about their
4: actions. It's unbelievable. The Buffalo police have been under scrutiny of late. The way they stood up and and acted out like they did, it is pretty amazing. Especially when one cop, the retired cop, will end up losing his life. Actually shot him, uh, and but he was armored up, and he was able to to fend off those bullets and then and kill uh, kill the retired police officers, It was just terrible. And this guy is somebody. You just have to wonder. Would I think we have to get to the point where it stops saying? This is good news for Biden. That's why he's going to go up and visit. Walker Shaw was not good news for Biden. He said he was too busy to go. He said it would be cause too much disruption. we got to start analyzing who these killers are, how each one could have been stopped, and see if there's some commonalities there from Sandy Hook up forward. What about that? one 408 7669 That would have to come from a leader uh, who's a major person in their party.
3: you think this is
1: the Brian Kilmeade show what a strategic failure for Russia I mean one of the objectives they have here in, in the invasion in Ukraine was make certain NATO was contained and also weaken it at, because it wouldn't have the resolve to respond effectively and look what's happened NATO is expanding with Finland and Sweden overwhelming uh, population polls in those countries are supporting joining NATO NATO was strengthened as a result of it, not just expanding, and Russia has 40,000 U.S. NATO troops in Eastern Europe, in NATO countries that were not there prior to the invasion. So yes, a major turnaround uh, for NATO, for sure.
4: Wow, and that was General Jack Keene 45 minutes ago uh, on our channel, on Fox News channel, talking about the developments in a war that really matters to everybody. A lot of people say well, you know, it's thousands of miles away. What's the big deal? We have things to focus on here. This is our number two enemy, uh, after right after China. And if they could be thwarted, put back into uh, to the condition in which they belong and stop the expansionist um, uh, nature, stop, stop threatening its neighbors, that will save us an unbelievable amount of money. And fortifying NATO is always a good thing. I don't have to explain that to my next guest. He's Ambassador Kurt Volker, who knows this area quite well and saw this problem Uh, manifesting itself. Uh, Ambassador, welcome back.
13: Hey, thank you so much, Brian. Great to be here.
4: All right, Kurt, here we are in in week 12. Your thoughts right now on the war as you see it, because the Russians are trying to consolidate the areas in which they've gained from uh, Kyrgyzstan to Mariupol and starting to putting their own mayors in in, in place, changing the street signs.
13: So it's not all good news, but a lot of it is good. Well, on the military side is where the good news is, that the Ukrainians have stopped the Russian advances They've pushed them away from the major cities. Uh, Russians have not fully taken a single major city since Kherson. And the Ukrainians are pushing them away from Kharkiv. They've stopped the advances in the east. And now momentum is really building on Ukraine's side, as we saw this Russian um, uh, mechanized rifle battalion completely destroyed over the weekend. They were trying to cross a bridge that they had built, a pontoon bridge. Couldn't do it, and Ukrainians just took them out. Uh, so I think this this war is turning militarily. The stuff that you're talking about, this— this creeping annexation, if you will, of these territories that Russia occupies. They do not have the support of the Ukrainian people. Uh, There is some internal resistance already. And anything that they construct now will be taken down in a heartbeat once the Ukrainian military comes back in. Uh, And I think it's almost inevitable that we're going to be seeing that.
4: Uh, The good news is uh, they've been pushed out of Kharkiv, it seems. Uh, Ukrainian forces were in position on Saturday to disrupt the Russian supply lines. It looks like they've done it. And um, the Russia is likely to have lost a third of their ground combat forces at this point that are committed to the invasion. And they're scrambling to get more. Can you provide additional insight to that?
13: Yeah, sure. Well, first off, uh, we've heard numbers like that, you know, losing a third of their combat power for some time. But this was confirmed by the British Ministry of Defense now over the weekend. So we're very confident that that's the scale of Russian losses. That's just devastating. That's a huge number. Um, uh, Mayor Kharkiv, you, you mentioned that they pushed the Russians away from there. He said they're restarting public transportation as of today in Kharkiv. So they are getting things back to normal very, very quickly. Awesome. Uh, and by the way,
4: Kurt, so you're there for two years as a U.S. special representative for Ukrainian <clears throat> negotiator from 2017 to 2019. When you talked to intelligence officers about what would an invasion of Russia be like, were you also getting reports that Ukraine
13: would fall in 72 hours if Russia invaded? Uh, not, I wasn't, no. And let me, let me put some context on that. Because I was in touch with the uh, Ukrainian military directly, with Ukrainian leadership. I could see the determination, the resolve. I met with our people who were supplying the Javelin missiles already starting back in, in 2017, training the Ukrainian military, helping them organize. And while far from perfect – This was a much different Ukrainian defense force and much more connected to the West than anything they had back in 2014. Where we all got it wrong was overestimating the Russians. Uh, We know they spend a lot of money. We know they have big numbers. We know they have a lot of equipment. But we didn't really understand the impact of the the dictatorial system where no one tells the truth, the uh, poor training of the recruits, the poor treatment of recruits, the cannibalization of equipment, the poor quality of maintenance the lack of any concept of logistics, Uh, we really overestimated Russian capabilities. So when they ran into the Ukrainians, they really just got mowed down.
4: They did, but they still are hitting. They have the armaments where they're just indiscriminately with dumb bombs just blowing up and eradicating cities. So having said that, you don't know if there's corruption that actually kept their leadership in the dark. But now there's reports about Vladimir Putin And being cancer-stricken, having to go through cancer surgery as some type of uh, blood cancer, what's Mm -hmm. the reality
13: there? Well, nobody can say with any certainty what's going on there. We did see the pictures of him on uh, the Victory Day parade on May 9th, where he was limping, he was puffy. And then when he sat down, he covered his legs with a blanket. And this is in May. Uh, so we, we, we do have to think that there's something there, but we just don't know what. Uh, what we do know, however, is that there are, there's a lot of finger pointing going on inside Moscow. Putin has put some generals under house arrest. Uh, there's talk about Gerasimov being replaced as the head of the armed forces, Um, there's a lot of finger pointing going on as to who's to blame for this debacle that they got themselves into. And one other point that you brought up earlier, I just wanted to come back to it. When you talk about the Russians bringing more forces in, having to rally more, these are not the same quality of what they already lost. Uh, they had their best forces forward, they're most trained, they're most ready. Now they're pulling in conscripts or recruits who have little experience, little training, and the equipment they're pulling out of storage is second rate, both generationally and also having, you know, had problems with parts and, and cannibalization of that equipment. So uh, it's there's little that Russia can do now to turn the tide back in its favor.
4: Just real quick, the Major General uh, Kylo uh... Budinov, you might know, he's 36 years old. Uh, he is intel- in charge of intelligence with Ukraine. He says he believes that Putin's calamitous war in Ukraine will be his breaking point this summer. It'll be over by the end of the year. As the spy chief, he's able to pick up intelligence. He says believes the war will be over with because there's people on the inside. He said hard men that are starting to uh, zone in on him because of the trouble he has caused, not only because of the war, but domestically with the sanctions. Uh, Is that somebody we
13: should believe? We have no way to to, uh, verify that, you know, he he is the head of intelligence. He has sources. He has operatives. Um, He also has a reason to want to say that this is happening, uh, both for morale for the Ukrainians and maybe to encourage just this sort of thing in Russia. So we just really don't know what the facts are there. But I have to say the factors that he identifies are real, that the military knows it is taking devastating losses and shouldn't be. They they are not being led the right way they are taking a serious hit on the economy, and all the business people and all the oligarchs know that. So uh, this is something that's going to get worse rather than get better. And Putin has nowhere to go but, but double down, and this is very dangerous for Russia. And uh, I was amusing about this this morning in another interview, where um, you know people ask, is Putin going to turn to nuclear weapons as the last ditch? He's a dying man, perhaps. Uh, perhaps he sees there's no way out. Would he do that? That could very well be the breaking point where others in the country say, look, this is going to be the destruction of Russia if we turn to use of nuclear weapons. Uh, So uh, that could be the thing that causes a break. So,
4: uh, Kurt, the other thing that bothers me is is this big push to stop the funding. You know, we we are definitely hurting here at home. There's definitely issues. We got, you know, about inflation, you know, about what's going on at the border. You know, the frustration Republicans are feeling and they want to write a thirty nine billion dollar check. And that bothers a lot of Republicans. And I want you to uh, hear what uh, Senator Marshall Mm -hmm. said uh, this weekend. And he does one of the people that will vote no for this aid. So uh, here's what he said.
11: I certainly don't have anything against the Ukrainians. We want to see them win. But pumping more aid into that country, when we're not taking care of our own own country, the best thing that Biden could do is stop the war that he's waged on American industry. That would lower prices overall. That would take the funding away from Putin's war machine against Ukraine. It would make our economy do better here. Biden will not do that.
4: So that's a sentiment with Rand Paul. That's a sentiment with Jim Jordan and others. What are your thoughts?
13: Yeah, well, I'd say compared to fighting a war to weaken one of our key strategic enemies in the world and what that would cost for us to do it, both in money and in lives, it's a bargain for the Ukrainians to be doing this for us.
4: That's a great point. And you know Georgia
13: would be next, Moldova. Yep. And, and yeah, Putin, if Putin survives this, excuse me, interrupting Brian, but if Putin survives this, if he remains in power and remains successful in taking pieces of Ukraine, he, you know he will not stop. They've already announced the intention to take the whole south coast of Ukraine, Moldova, they want to re, re, uh, revisit Georgia, and then we do have a defense obligation to the Baltic states, and they were incorporated into the Soviet Union, and that will be on his list. So this is where the costs rise if we don't do it now.
4: Absolutely, and, it, and in that way we, we have a chance to throttle one of our the top two uh, nemesis that we have around the world from from Syria. Yeah. You know what they're trying to do all everywhere, everywhere they can, even in what
13: they were doing in Venezuela, which uh, yeah. if you want to focus on America. China. If you want to focus on China, the best way to be able to do so is not to have to worry about Russia anymore.
4: Real quick, France is playing the good cop in this situation. Saying that, you know, Secretary of Defense Austin was saying was wrong. Saying that we want to weaken Russia, and and they're coming out. Are you comfortable with what they're doing? Is
13: this coordinated? Is or is Macron uh, I was have a different concerned. view of this? I'm concerned when I hear both Secretary Austin and the French talk about a ceasefire at this stage. Uh, They need to be talking about Russia getting its forces out of Ukraine. A ceasefire would leave them in place, and that's something that would uh, allow Putin to claim that he's remaining in power, that he's achieved something, and tee up another war in the future. So we need to be calling for Russia to get its forces out, and only on that basis can there be a peace and a ceasefire. And I'm concerned that, you know, Macron over the weekend said that, You know, we need to help Russia save face. Well, uh, there's no saving face for someone who's, you know, committed war crimes and killed all these civilians and launched this war of aggression. Uh, If we want to live in a world of some justice and some peace and some security, we've got to make sure that Russia gets its forces out of Ukraine.
4: Ambassador Kurt Volker, the other thing that comes to mind is Macron met with him a a bunch of times and he's gotten nowhere. Who lost face? Macron lost he wanted to go in there as a European Union hero. He's in charge. He almost lost yeah. an election because of it. And instead of maybe saying, okay, I'm going to back off a little. This guy is really, um, he, he's not tenable. This is not somebody we can deal with. He's sitting. He's in there going, let me save the day again. And I'm wondering, maybe that's the European perspective. I'm not sure. I'm okay, good cop, bad cop and doing that if it's, got the, if it's coordinated. But I just don't know if it yeah. is. But I want to get to two other things I know you care about that if I told you five years ago that Sweden and Finland were going to apply to be members of NATO and that Russia would almost be powerless to let it happen, what would you have told me?
13: Yeah, I, I would have said I really don't see it, that they they are just, you know, they've been neutral. Finland ever since World War II and Sweden for 200 years. Um, this is something deeply rooted in the populations. So I would have been very skeptical that anything like that would happen. And what happens? Russia attacks its neighbor, engages in unspeakable brutality, and these countries begin to realize, the population realizes, that they're not safe on their own. The only way to be safe is to be part of an alliance like NATO.
4: Absolutely. So it's going to happen. And for those people out there saying, do we really have to fight for Finland and Sweden? They come in with great economies and formidable uh, formidable militaries. They are
13: a Absolutely. net plus, correct? Absolutely. Finland has one of the best militaries in Europe. They've been manning the front line with Russia on their own for uh, decades now. They are very, very capable. We've had good, close working relationships with them. They've joined us in places like uh, Afghanistan in substantial numbers, but they've just never been part of the decision-making or part of the Article Five defense commitment, and that's what they're looking for now. And as you said, it's going to be a net plus. Now, all of a sudden, the entire Baltic Sea and all the the Arctic north of Norway and Finland and Sweden are, uh, will now have much more robust NATO um, uh, landmass, landmass, more, more capacity to project power from there if we ever needed to do so.
4: And I'm just going to share this with you. Uh, Admiral James Stravitis uh, retweeted this. A Finnish general reacting to Putin's threats if Finland joins NATO. You're most welcome to come here to join the 200,000 Russians that are already in Finland buried a few meters in the ground after your last <laughs> attempt in 1939. So yeah. they got some pride and they know what they, they know do. what they're up against. And they voted as a country without any push. It was all came from them. So I think it, there's a lot of good here uh, in exactly. a bad situation. Thanks, Ambassador. Exactly. Thank you. Take care. All right. Uh, Kurt Volker, former U.S. Ambassador to NATO. This is the Brian Kilmeade, Joe. I'm so glad you're here. I'm in Los Angeles, but I'm willing to take your calls from around the country. one 408 Don't move.
3: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: Who would have ever suspected that a creature like Donald Trump would become president of the United States, waving a list of judges that he would appoint, therefore getting the support of the far right, and appointing those anti-freedom justices to the court. Let's not take our eye off the ball. The ball is this court, which is dangerous to the freedoms of our country. Beware in terms of of, uh, marriage equality. Beware in terms of other aspects. Let's not waste our time... On that the fact is this is a dangerous court to
4: okay so you don't expect a Republican to win the presidency and what Donald Trump did is do something no one else has done but it's not that unusual when he had his selections any Republican president would have picked conservative judges he named him ahead of time from a list that was approved by almost every Republican they aren't crazy Amy Coney Barrett is brilliant uh, Gorsuch is brilliant Kavanaugh was not only mainstream, he was a pick. It was a basically an ass from the Bush administration because that's how valuable he was. So uh, her saying a creature is so disrespectful, but that's the same idiot that ripped up the State of the Union address for the world to see. Barry listening in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry.
14: Well, hello, Brian. A couple of things. Ukraine, you keep saying how inept Russia was, yet, you te- yet you're telling us that they're going to somehow – attack other countries it doesn't equate
10: number two in regard to the buffalo shooting biden is only going to buffalo because he's going to bring up the big Charles charlottesville lie. guarantee it
4: okay a couple of regard- things barry barry do you you know that they thought ukraine was going to fall in 72 hours you know that he wedged into georgia and stayed you know that he took Crimea and stayed you know he's still got a presence in syria and if he was successful in the Ukraine, Georgia was next. Moldova would have would have been sucked up, and still could be sucked up in the process. You've realized that, right? What they're doing is being exposed, and they're being bled. They're being bled out.
7: Exactly. They're, they,
14: they've already been exposed. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not that all against the money, but it is a lot of money. It was a very corrupt nation before they were invaded. I, we, we should use a little prudence. That's all I'm saying.
4: That, I'm with you. That's why I, get, I love the inspector general, uh, having a bipartisan inspector general oversee every dollar that goes there. But just don't slow it down because they're doing our work right now.
13: They did our work. Again, they've been exposed.
10: You, there's no way. But they have to be if, stopped. If, every,
4: yeah. if they can rebuild in five to seven years, they go for Georgia. They cannot be allowed to take territory and declare it a victory. I appreciate it, Barry. I think we're on the same side. Uh, One eight six. And I'm I'm perfectly willing to take other arguments, but I'm very concerned about people seeing that Biden could get a victory. So denying the money because of that, that is what they do. You can't do that. So appreciate everybody listening. Um, Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade show.
3: From the Fox News radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
4: Thanks so much for being here, everybody, at the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from, actually, Los Angeles, but the base remains New York, 48th and 6th. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. This hour, we talk about the thing that matters most right now in the world of politics and maybe in in our nation. And that is what's going to be happening in Pennsylvania. So much intrigue, three great candidates all finishing strong uh, for the right to replace Pat Toomey, get the Republican nomination, and then do the best they can to win in that purple state. When we find out that uh, it's unbelievable, but Fetterman... uh, uh, he actually had a stroke over the weekend, and he said he's doing fine. But I wonder how that's going to affect the Democratic side uh, because uh, he was way out in front, but he's big, a big guy, likes pullovers, and he's extremely liberal. So that's why a lot of people think whoever gets the nomination is really favored to get the uh, Pat, uh, retained Patsumi seat. Uh, Kathy Barnett is going to be with us in a matter of moments, and Dr. Oz at the bottom of the hour. Uh, Dave McCormick is also finishing strong. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three.
2: Uh, well, what we see is a cautious amount of great news. We see that uh, the Russian troops has been moving away from the major parts of the uh, Western Ukraine uh, in Kharkiv, uh, we are not, like, over-optimistic in that regard.
4: Uh, that is the Ukrainian deputy prime minister kind of happy, but knows we're not out of the woods yet. Russia really and their leaders held very much in question. They are suffering humiliating loss on a bridge over the weekend. Tankers just blown up into the river forced out of Kharkiv, Ukraine's second biggest city. Meanwhile, Sweden and Finland want to join NATO. What a disaster for Russia. We'll talk about it and why I think Republicans have to fund this and not back off now.
1: Number two.
5: So I think it's been a net neutral. Look, the, the Oz uh, endorsement was a risky one for him. And if it turns out that Barnett gets the nomination That's as a result right. of that, I think you're going to see a lot of recrimination against Donald a lot Trump. Of-
4: Obviously, Kathy Barnett doesn't feel that way. We'll ask her in a moment. Uh, Politics, primaries, and approvals. As critical, Republican uh, primary in 24 hours. It happens in Pennsylvania. The president's approval drops again, even on NBC, where it's now at 38%. What his plans for the midterms are, are very disconcerting.
8: Number one.
4: If
6: we'd been better mind readers, I guess we could have. But we moved as quickly as the problem became apparent to us. We have to move with caution as well as speed. Because we got to make sure what we're getting is, in fact, first-rate product. That's why the FDA has to go through the process.
4: Mind reader, economic pressures at the forefront of every American's mind, and few are convinced the Biden administration is capable of attacking the problem because they're choosing to attack others and alienating a huge ally in Jeff Bezos in the process. And when it comes to the baby formula he was talking about, the blame is not on them for the shortage. That's Abbott Labs. I get it. But their lack of action is, specifically the FDA, and not pushing them to move forward. And we'll discuss that. Uh, Kathy Barnett joins us right now. She's really one of the uh, remarkable stories of this primary season. You know what? It's my bad. She'll be with us in 10 minutes. But I do want to take this moment to welcome in some very great stations that are now part of this network. Uh, WDLA, 1270 a.m. in Walton, New York. WCHN, 970 a.m. in Norwich, New York. And WDOS, 7.30 a.m. in Oneonta, New York. You're all part of this at a time in which something happened in your community around that the whole country is focusing on, specifically Buffalo, when this 18-year-old uh, deranged lunatic plotted and planned to shoot up a Topps uh, supermarket and shot as many people as he could, killing 10, shooting 13, aiming mainly for African-Americans. That's how twisted this guy is. Question is... And I'll have this for Barnett as well as Dr. Oz. You had a guy legally get a gun who was just interviewed by state police because of things that he did in school that we do not know specifically is. That were disconcerting and made his classmates and the school system feel uneasy. So they talked to him for two and a half hours and let him go. Nothing on his record. And at 18, he comes and gets his arsenal of guns. The gun shop owner says, I background checked him. Nothing was there. He goes up and he's fully armored up. And he was shot, but he kept going through it because he had the uh, bulletproof vest on and the helmet. Unbelievable, right? So having said that, that's where this problem is. Identifying the deranged amongst us, the mentally incapacitated or the ill, the violent, the parents, first off, number two, the system, number three, the gun system, the background check. If I had a psychological evaluation of Relate and I was able to click on it and look on it, what it was to say contact state police, it doesn't mean that you're prevented from getting one, but get the officer on the phone that evaluated this clown for two and this killer for two and a half hours and say, are you okay with him getting a gun? How hard would that be? We have computers. You know, we have all this way of communicating. The red flag law, everything. Everything failed on this uh, on down. But they want to blame the gun and they want to blame talk show host. It is embarrassing. The other big issue I want to know is how you feel about more and more Republicans not wanting to to fund Ukraine. I think it's a major problem. I think that people have to see that this is – Ukrainians are actually fighting against our nemesis, not just theirs. And Congressman Dan Crenshaw summarized it best. Cut 13.
0: Who else does it give sticker shock to? Vladimir Putin. So Vladimir Putin has a a military that's been degraded severely. Their morale is extremely low. Their supply chains are are in critical condition. And now he just is realizing that his opponents, the Ukrainians, are going to have basically an unlimited amount of resources to continue fighting this war. This is an investment in the severe degradation of our second biggest adversary, the Russian military. They will not be able to invade other countries after this and destabilize the globe. That allows us to do something. It allows us to focus on our actual biggest adversary, which is China.
4: I agree. And Dan Crenshaw, not only is a lawmaker, Ivy League grad, but he's a, a, a Navy SEAL. So he knows the danger of a war. He lost an eye with that. He almost he has partial vision lost in the other eye. He lives with it every day. So he's not someone who just wants to throw people into battle. And I don't believe we're not going into battle. There's almost no scenario where we do it. But if they go after Bulgaria, they go after Poland, we're in. They go after Georgia, we're not, but maybe we should be. And if they're able to survive and say, we've got additional area in Ukraine, they'll go into Georgia in a few years after they rebuild. All these areas have to be fortified. That's the only thing that's going to make it in this world. We want to go to a point where we can talk our way out of things and use diplomacy. But without strength, there is no diplomacy. And we have to show that we're willing to fight and fortify. And with Finland and Sweden coming in, this is rare, good international news. Embrace it. Don't starve it out. Here's Senator Bill Haggerty on Maria, and essentially he does not agree with me at all. Cut 12.
11: I certainly don't have anything against the Ukrainians. We want to see them win. But pumping more aid into that country, when we're not taking care of our own own country, the best thing that Biden could do is stop the war that he's waged on American industry. That would lower prices overall. That would take the funding away from Putin's war machine against Ukraine, and it would make our economy do better here. Biden will not do that. Yeah.
4: Yeah, we have to be able to do both. There's foreign policy and domestic policy. We should look at it, and we should pressure the Europeans to do their share. Get an inspector general, make sure it's being played in the right way. Dropping it in Poland and saying good luck getting it in is not enough. All that stuff works, but denying it and showing an uneasiness gives the Russians a reason to fight longer and harder and gives the Europeans a sense that they could equivocate and get away with it. When we come back, Kathy Barnett's going to be joining us Uh, She is bad. She is the upstart story in Pennsylvania and really the country where she came out of nowhere. She's a great guest on our show a lot. She's a veteran. There's some things about her past that she wants to clear up as she tries to pull off the upset of the primary season and beat Dr. Oz and uh, and as as well as Dave McCormick, both with great resumes. There's a lot of talent out there. But tell you what, Donald Trump is as much on the line as Dr. Oz, Dr. Oz in 10 minutes. Donald Trump said, Dr. Oz is my guy. But Mike Pompeo, Ted Cruz said, no, it's Dave McCormick. And Kathy Barnett says, hey, look at me. I'm the one with the most momentum. The least money, the most momentum. Brian Kilmeade chose. Don't move.
3: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fast as three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: In Kathy's uh, Barnett's
10: case, I've gotten to know her on the campaign trail, and I appreciate her personal story. But she has been tested uh, over the last couple years, and she lost a congressional race here in Pennsylvania by 20 points. And now there's all sorts of questions being raised about uh, her background experience. And we've all had to answer those questions. And so it's quite appropriate that uh, she gets stress tested, just like all the candidates get stress tested. And I think Pennsylvanians are ultimately going to decide based on those three questions uh, that I mentioned. And I'm again presenting myself as someone who's been battle tested as a West Point graduate, a combat veteran, someone who's created jobs in Pennsylvania, someone who's a Pennsylvania true guy.
4: Uh, that is uh, that is uh, Dave McCormick, um, and he is trailing now Dr. Oz and Kathy Barnett in the Trump Fogger poll that came out just a couple of days ago, and now we're less than 24 hours until Election Day for the primary, and there's so much intrigue. As you know, President Trump uh, chose Dr. Oz, but there's a lot of Trump people that have chose uh, uh, Dave McCormick, and then Kathy Barnett comes out of nowhere. Uh, joining us right now is Kathy Barnett, who's been all over Fox, so you're not new to me, Kathy. But you're new to the front runner of the race, <laughs> thank so, right?
12: Thank you so much for having me on. Who would have ever thought when I was just coming in as a little old, you know, just adding my two cents there on Fox and Friends? Uh, but I am so very grateful that I get the opportunity to fight for my country in a different manner, and I'm so grateful for the people of Pennsylvania.
4: So there's a couple of things. Number one, no one doubts you're conservative. Were you surprised that the president came out and said there's some things about your past you haven't answered yet? He didn't want to say anything bad about you personally, but he does not want people to vote for you. Were you surprised President Trump did that?
12: No, not surprised at all. Um, You know, he has um, uh, backed Oz and I expected him to do that. But you and I both know the president does not mix words. So, um, you know, uh, I'll just leave it at that. I'm looking forward to working with him on Wednesday to hold this seat in November. Um, yeah, i very excited. But, you know, I, I, I heard when we were coming into this, I was listening to what Dave McCormick said, and he's right. We all should be vetted. And I've been running this race for 13 months, and I've been in a statistical tie for first place for over four weeks. So, um, uh, you know, I know contrary to what mainstream media is trying to say, I did not just fall from under a rock yesterday. I have been here doing the hard work of getting in front of Pennsylvanians. And it was the media, quite frankly, that was derelict in their duty. I'm, I, I've i been in first place I for first place for over four weeks, and no one paid me any attention. They only wanted to focus on the two guys in this race.
4: Well, they, the, so they are starting to look at what you said in your background. And there is yeah. questions. You said, well, I'm an adjunct professor. Um, you someone served uh, in the military. When it comes to some of the tweets that you've had that they say are Islamophobic, those messages that they look uh-huh. back, you don't deny. You're not saying anyone hacked. You're saying that's where you felt then, but you don't feel now. Do you, do you see a difference between Muslims and, and extremists, ISIS and yes, the Muslim idea. next door?
12: Yes, I do. Uh, do you, do you now, feel differently now so, than you did in 2016? So like, well, well, I just wanted to ask, I wanted to ask your latter question. Uh, yeah. I I am not I do not conflate uh, uh, is uh, extreme extremists to as you said the Muslim next door. I do not do that. So you're correct in that. That's how I feel. Now, as it relates to those texts, again, those texts, It is not even a full thought, Brian. It's not even a full sentence even, right? It's however many characters that Twitter would allow you to post and then it cuts off. And so people are presenting texts to me that are tweets to me that are seven to eight years old, sticking it in my face and tell me, and then asking me, tell me exactly what you meant seven to eight years ago, right? A lot has happened between now and then. And I don't know the context, but not only do I not know the context, they don't know the context, so they're taking a half thought and then they're adding their own narrative to it. So I can't speak to the context of, of, of any specific tweet, but what I can talk about is the context of the environment in which we were living in under seven to eight years ago. And seven to eight years ago, as I know your audience will recall, President Obama was bringing in tens of thousands of Syrian refugees. And Obama at that time was telling us that he was going to vigorously vet these people. And yet I remember back then, uh, former director, a uh, former FBI director, James Comey testifying on the heel that I can vet until the cows come home and we won't know who these people are. It's almost a direct quote. And so, and then also at that same time, we were watching the Muhammad uh, cartoon stabbing. And Garland, Texas. We were watching a San Bernardino shooting. We were watching um, people weaponize vehicles and mow folks down in the, in the street. And we were watching, um I think one of the latter ones was the uh, post nightclub shooting. So that's the context of the environment. And at that time, I was hosting a radio show. Nothing so like that. So, Kathy,
4: let me ask you if this is a summation. You're seeing this happen. You're thinking this is out of control. You're worried about what's happening here. And you made some statements that maybe would overgeneralize the Muslim community. Is that correct?
12: If that is the context of the specific yep. tweet, then yes. But that's, I don't think that that's the context of the, of, of the specific tweet. And quite frankly, I don't know what the full context is, and no one else does either. It's just however many characters can fit into a tweet. So it's a half of the right. thought is not even a full sentence. So maybe at the end of that sentence, I clean it up. You learn some things as you grow up and you spend time on on, on Twitter and Twitter world of how this maybe start off with your more direct statement and then end with some general thought. But at that particular time, I am a stay-at-home mom, an adjunct professor, I'm hosting a radio show, and I'm trying to have a conversation about something and trying to get Americans to have a conversation about something that I thought, was very gotcha. important. We don't and, know and you, who these people are at that time. Right.
4: You wrote, "Obama is a Muslim doing Muslim things." If you love freedom, Islam might not be. Allow, uh, must not be allowed. So those are some of the things. Ped- pedophilia is a cornerstone of Islam. They're on your feed, but you're saying they're out of context.
12: I do believe that uh, some of them are out of context. Um, you know, Barack Hussein Obama. That is his name. That's not the name that I chose for him. And yet, I can I can tell you right now. From the time that these tweets came out, Brian, till today, I have been out in front of the people, and not one person has asked gotcha. me one thing about any of these tweets. You know what they're talking about? Literally, I've had people talk to me about they can't find food for their babies. Literally, I had a which man is, which call is me happening. saying, "We're driving." I'm sorry. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I tell you no lie, right? And that is why I am winning this race right now. And that is the reason why there's been such a pile on, on little old me. Little old me. (laughs) Everybody's coming after me, right? And there's a reason for that because I'm winning. And the reason why I'm winning is because from day one, I kept the main thing, the main thing. And that is the people of Pennsylvania. We are traveling over 1,500 miles a week. I'm not inheriting this seat. I haven't been anointed this seat. I didn't go and kiss the ring for this seat. <laughs> I went in front of the people, right. the voters of Pennsylvania.
4: Yeah, you're out. You feel like you're out working everybody. And there you go. Because when you become a front runner, people really zone in on you. It's easy when you're a contender, but you could actually pull this off uh, on Tuesday, and that has unnerved a lot of people. Kathy Barnett, thanks so much for your time.
12: Thank
4: you, Brian. All right. Best of luck. When we come back, Dr. Oz joins us.
3: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
12: And that is why I am winning this race right now. That is the reason why there's been such a pile on, on little old me. Little old me. (laughs) Everybody's coming after me, right? And there's a reason for that because I'm winning. And the reason why I'm winning it's because from day one, I kept the main thing, the main thing, and that is the people of Pennsylvania. We are traveling over 1,500 miles a week. I, I'm not inheriting this seat. I haven't been anointed for this seat. I didn't go and kiss the ring for this seat. <laughs> I went in front of the people, right. the voters of Pennsylvania.
4: Kiss the ring. I think I think they. they he, she's referring to Dave McCormick and Dr. Oz. But Dr. Oz ultimately got President Trump's blessing. That was Kathy Barnett minutes ago. Dr. Oz, as well as Kathy, as well as Dave McCormick, are looking to close the last 24 hours and pull out a victory that most everybody agrees with in single digits. Dr. Oz, what's your, what's your response to kissing the ring?
14: Uh, you know, it's confusing to understand Kathy Barnett. She's, uh, you know, every time she answers a question, she raises many more. She wanted to build a statue to Obama while attacking the father of our country, George Washington, as well as attacking uh, President Trump. She's, by the way, lied about voting for Trump. But you know, she said she did, but her book says she didn't, and then the voting records. So she didn't vote at all. She, she, you know, all these rumors about working on Wall Street when she didn't. I mean, it's a, it's a mystery. But the reality is, the reason I'm actually leading in the polls, I don't know what she's been talking about with that rant you just shared, is because. I've focused on Americans and protecting us, fighting for us against powerful insiders. I've been up my whole career, Brian. You know that. We've been together on this. In fact, most recently during the COVID pandemic, when I was with you, every single yep. morning on Fox and Friends, we went against mandates, we went against the shutdowns. It made no sense. The fire Fauci plea that I put out there is because he tried to censor thought. The same twisting of science is hurting our children with false arguments about why we should teach gender studies to first graders. It's why biologic men should not be playing women's sports. But this is all where we are today. The good news is it's all fixable with strong leadership. And I am that bold voice. We need in in D.C. to represent our Pennsylvania values. I'm pro-life, pro-Second Amendment, pro-energy. I make this a, a land of plenty again. And by getting rid of regulation and incompetence, we literally can start making baby formula. These are things that are Created by Joe Biden's failed approaches. I mean, the only thing he's built better, uh, you know, is the Republican Party. And it's sort of shocking to me that he's missed the boat in so many issues. And Washington gets it wrong because they don't really understand our values or, frankly, care about our values.
4: So, Dr. Oz, I know things were serious because you would – when things – we had serious medical things like the pandemic, obviously. When things were coming out, you would do our show before you did your show. You'd say, I'll come in at 7. You know, I'll come in at 6. We'll go over this. And I think, in my opinion, what I've noticed as an outsider, not a member of your family or inner circle, is when you got pushed back about OxyContin, when you're just trying to do this from a medical perspective and you think you're going to have an intelligent conversation, instead you were vilified and told you were Trump's sycophant because you thought there were some merits to this and it should be studied. Was that one of the turning points for you?
14: Well, hydroxychloroquine uh, was an example of an idea that was floated to me from other countries My show shows in a hundred countries. So doctors would call me and say, hey, you know what? We're getting pretty good results. It's a pandemic. We'll take any advice we can get. I talked about it on your show. And then president Trump brought it up in a press conference cause he'd seen it on Fox and friends. And all of a sudden I never w- thought this was possible. The, the liberal media began rooting against Americans. They hated Trump so much. They were hoping it wouldn't work. And then it began creating and manufacturing uh, studies about hydroxychloroquine claiming it wouldn't be effective, blocking clinical trials that I was actually trying to do it and others as well. And what I learned from this is when you mix politics and medicine, you get politics. It actually really hurt our public health. It hurt our doctors and nurses that we weren't allowed to take care of patients. We were told just to send them home and, you know, if if your lips turn blue, go to the ER. These are the kinds of mistakes we made over and over again in the pandemic. And if it only was... the Pandemic. It would have been different, but the exact same mistakes are being made with energy policy and with educational policy and at our border and with our relations to China. It's a top down, one size fits all, authoritarian approach. And Americans don't want collectivism. We want individualism to become a land of plenty, which is what I pledge to do. Uh, we'll, but you need to get rid of some of the rules and regulations, the taxes, and levies that don't actually help us. You don't want middle level, unelected managers like. Fauci making rules that can destroy energy because then energy producers aren't going to trust the government, which, by the way, they don't now. Energy prices skyrocket. Inflation goes up. Ukraine gets invaded. We don't have energy security. We don't negotiate from strength. And people start to wonder, are we really the America that we thought we were? And I, I, I really believe the biggest epiphany, the biggest breakthrough for me is we're so close to doing it right. President Trump had it right. Literally just the changing 15 months of new administration has created the kind of problems we're facing now. And I'm so optimistic that with the right leadership, we'll make it happen.
4: So so as you know, Mike Pompeo, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, uh, and others have, uh, have gone with, uh, with Dave McCormick. And they're pointing out Pompeo had a press conference saying that you voted in 2018 in Turkey and that you have dual citizenship and he's questions your loyalty to this country. What's your response?
14: It's a distraction. These are not legitimate issues. And I've from day one said the only reason I'm maintaining the Turkish citizenship is to care for my mother who has Alzheimer's and lives in Turkey. And I have pledged to give up my citizenship when elected to the Senate. These are desperate moves by people who have fallen behind in the polls and need to find some relevance. I'm not taking my eyes off the American people. And what President Trump said when he endorsed me was that I'm smart, tough and will never let you down. I'm smart because I understand the issues. And, Brian, we, you and I have fought in the trenches long enough to you know that's true. I'm tough. I'll take what I know is right and do it, which is not often what happens. I won't wilt in the face of pressure. As an example, but when you and I went to battle about schools being closed, which didn't make any sense. Yep. Because European schools were open. Why were our schools closed? I'll give you the answer. The teachers union. We hurt our children. Use them as a shield. It was wrong. When I said that and got... Hardly criticized. You were there with me. It was okay. We've got scars to prove it and we cannot be bought. That's the person I'll be in the Senate. And finally, this is really important because Trump wrote this announcement himself. He said, Oz will never let you down. The reason that matters, Ryan, is when you all go to sleep, and I know you personally never sleep, but when mortals go to sleep, <laughs> They have to know that the person they've elected will do what's right for them when they're not paying attention. That's what I've always done as a doctor, taking care of patients, hosting the show, and I'll do that as your U.S. Senator.
4: But, you know, there are there, there is issues. There aren't black and white in that, for example, you have a, a number of Republicans who no longer want to fund the war in Ukraine, and you have conservatives going at it, you know, differing on that. Uh, where do you stand? Because we have Jim Jordan says, uh, I'm out. And you have uh, Senator uh, Haggerty say the same thing, and it's about to have a vote in the Senate for the $39 billion. The,
14: the real issue for me is we don't know where the money's going. And blank checks have a history of not doing well. Uh, look at the the, pay, the paycheck payback program during COVID. Most of the money, you know, we don't know where it went. <laughs> and right now we're sort of figuring it out. But I bet you 25 percent of that money is wasted, went to places it wasn't supposed to go. So who so was 20, Inspector general? Billion billion? Dollar- who wants to, to check that large and not know where it's going? If you give me accountability, I think every American wants to arm the Ukrainians. We just don't want to write blank checks to people who take the money along the way to the Ukraine, because there's a long way from here to there.
4: Right. They say 18 percent of Pennsylvanians are still undecided. So the president obviously is big for you. you. The minute he endorsed you, you went to number one, but it's so tight still. McCormick, Scott Pompeo, Cruz, Mike Huckabee, Sarah Huckabee, Rick Santorum, and Brandon Judd. So if 12 percent are undecided, what does that tell you? And do you believe that Donald Trump has as much to lose if you lose?
14: No, the president's not involved specifically whether one candidate or another loses. Uh, Obviously, he wants to win campaigns. That's why he nominated me, because he knows I'll win the general election. He's all about winning Senate seat so Republicans dominate in the Senate and in the House. And that's why it would be a tragedy if I didn't win, because I'm the most likely to carry the seat for a bunch of reasons, including the fact that I'll do very well with a suburban female vote and I'll get minority populations come along. And I've been in people's living rooms every day for 13 years. They know who I am. They don't have to guess. They know exactly the, the battles I fought for them and that I'll be honorable with them. The other reality of this race is that us, although there are some who are undecided, those, those numbers are rapidly dropping, and the Republican Party is coalescing behind me. You know, leaders. Last night I had a, ten, a teletown hall with Ted Nugent. I wanted the Ted to come because he, you know, he's very strong in the Second Amendment, but he's a passionate person who spent part of his life in Pennsylvania, so he has local roots. Yep. And I love when you have, you know, people like Rick Perry, you know, his Energy Secretary, come and say Oz is the number one guy for energy, and then. Pennsylvania, which you know, we have enough natural gas to power the whole uh, country for 200 years, being the number one guy on energy is a big deal because all your local communities are suffering because Biden is ignoring the fact that, we, that we, can, right. we can actually, in a clean way, uh, protect our environment right. and make us energy independent.
4: Dr. Oz, a couple of things. I want to talk about real issues that are happening right now as if you had that seat. Uh, for example, you know that Sweden and Finland are looking to join NATO. And the one country that could be standing in their way is Turkey. Erdogan's not comfortable with some things that are going on in Sweden. Doesn't think this is this too provocative, perhaps, for Russia to do that. You know if one nation says no, it's a no. You're from Turkey. You know Erdogan. Wh- where do you stand?
14: I don't really know Erdogan. My parents uh, were from Turkey. Uh, I, I feel strongly reached America first. I mean, President Trump said it when he endorsed me. I, I'm about this country. And we have got to be able to take in allies to NATO, especially when they're appropriately nervous about not being part of NATO, seeing what Russia did to Ukraine. um, And we don't want to have miscues like that. The most important thing for America to do with both Russia and China is send very clear messages. Putin had ambiguous messaging around Ukraine and was able to manipulate it into a situation where he couldn't stop the report and we couldn't stop him from doing what he was about to do. But we still have an opportunity, for example, in China. And we cannot be ambiguous about the fact that we will arm Taiwan, make it a porcupine, make it incredibly painful for China if they decide to to try to take over that island nation. And if we don't do that, then our allies in Asia are going to feel like they were abandoned the same way some of ours in Europe are sort of caught offside by Russia's aggression.
4: So here's another tough one. Uh, This is a big blow to President Trump. He must have been crushed when he heard this news. Cut 34 if
6: trump were to return to the white house as president um and covid is still a threat or there's some other public health emergency would you have confidence in his ability uh would you have confidence in his ability to deal with the, the a pandemic of of this nature would you want to stay on in your post
9: uh well no <laughs> to the second <laughs> question uh the, <laughs> the first question
4: i think is i knew still, the answer to it, but uh,
6: i had to ask you it, it,
4: Um, Well, we've heard enough. What is your take, Dr. Oz? Do you think Donald Trump took that personally? Do you think that Anthony Fauci would have kept his job if Trump gets his job back in 2024?
14: I'm hoping when I'm a U.S. senator that before President Trump is, uh, is tempted to enter the 24 campaign, I will have helped Rand Paul and others remove Fauci from his position. He needs to be fired. He did things that I've never witnessed before in American public health. He censored. Doctors, well meaning scientists who had insights that would have helped our nation in COVID. He worked with media to undermine these physicians, other than uh, ostracize them and try to destroy mm-hmm. them because they were trying to help. It happened to me, it happened to many others. It's one of the reasons I want to be the senator from Pennsylvania because you have the subpoena power. I want him to sit in front of us and answer the questions, not just about. Uh, where the virus right. came from in Wuhan and who funded it, all the things that have gone on. But more, but also, you know, what are we going to do as a country to allow the best and brightest to feel free to say what they believe? We don't want public health censoring. And he's got a ton of power controlling a lot right. of the purse strings that fund research.
4: Dr. Oz, we added WDLA in Walton, New York, in Norwich, New York, WCHN, and WDOS in Oneonta, New York, all today. And they wake up knowing 24 hours ago in Buffalo, some crazed gunman, 18 years old, legally got a gun, even though he was evaluated for two and a half hours by state police because they got some unnerving information. We don't know the details yet about how he was acting in school. He was able to legally get a gun. The gun owner says, I looked at the background check. There was nothing there. And kill his intent was to kill as many black people as possible. What are we supposed to learn from this to make sure this doesn't happen again?
14: It's horrible, and my heart goes out to these poor souls and their families who will be grieving. We've got to take mental health issues seriously. And listen, my family has mental health, you know, a relative with a mental health issue. Uh, Many families do. Uh, We all have witnessed it in our daily lives. COVID has worsened it dramatically by isolating people, especially young people. Uh, We have too often thought of mental health as like a sidecar issue. The federal law is pretty clear. Chronic mental health conditions must be treated the same way with the same amount of money as chronic health conditions. So if you get diabetes, you treat that. You get a mental health condition, you have to treat that. We're not doing it. People are slipping through the cracks, and then these kinds of tragedies occur.
4: So, so a couple of things. If I click on that 18-year-old and somehow he was able to leave the state police officers, um, the bureau, the, the, uh, the precinct, and he goes home, should there be something on his record that says if he goes to a gun shop, call me? I mean, I mean the fact is that gun owner doesn't want blood on his hands. This guy forever has to live with it. He sold that to him, but he seems to have done everything right. There's something wrong with the system. Don't you agree?
14: I, I bet the ways of us improve the, the Trojan horse here is you don't want a registry, especially a, you know a federal registry, which is why as a senator, I'd be, be very, very much would desirous of blocking that keeps track of everyone who's had an issue because then, You have, you know, a 50-year-old is told, well, you know, when you were in high school, you had a depression problem, and you said such and such, and now you can't uh, use your constitutionally protected right to own a gun. And I think that is the big fear gun owners have. I I talk to local law enforcement a lot about this, and they're pretty clear. They want it to all be done locally. They know the community. They want to talk to people in the community when these issues occur, and they want to have the ability to rapidly adjudicate.
4: Thirty seconds left. If I told you in February that Abbott Labs is down for the foreseeable future, the FDA says there's legitimate violations thanks to a whistleblower, what would you have done?
14: I would have addressed the issues that Apple Labs, a major and important U.S. corporation who helped start COVID, was addressing, provided other sources of infant formula, uh, and made sure that I warned people this is coming down the pike. It's the it's incompetence combined with the regulatory um, morass that you can't get through that's shutting down industries. My goodness, we can't make baby formula in America. What can we make? We're better than this.
4: Dr. Oz, good luck closing this out in the next, the next 24 hours. I know you will not rest. It's too close to call. I appreciate it.
14: Running through the tape. God bless you. DrRotter.com for the details. And please vote if you're in Pennsylvania. Love you all.
4: Yep. We have a lot of affiliates in Pennsylvania, and we're very thankful for that. Back in a moment.
3: He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: The czar, Nina Jankowicz, says uh, she'd like some committee there within this governing board with the power to, quote, edit Twitter and add context. Oh, you mean like what Twitter is? That's what Twitter is. Somebody
4: says something and then you add context.
8: Yeah.
1: These, These are not bright people in our government.
4: And he's talking about that is Bill Maher on Friday night talking about the disinformation to how dumb it is to even do that. Let alone look at this woman's background and seeing how partisan she is. And on top of that, he also went out and said this about the protest real quick.
1: Certainly the press spokesman at the White House is down with this. Jen Psaki said, asked about this. These are people who are demonstrating outside the houses of the Supreme Court justices. She said, I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest, but we do. It's wrong. It's intimidation. It's against the law. Thank you. I mean, do we have some footage of? What? I mean, look, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not terribly violent,
4: obviously. But would you want this outside your house? Huge problem. Why do I agree with him every week? Special thanks to WCHN for joining us. WDLA for joining us, WDOS for joining us. Uh, We'll keep an eye on what's happening in Buffalo. Thanks for being on board the team and the fastest-growing show
13: in all of radio. Brian Kilmeade, on the road, back with you tomorrow from L.A.